across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. Welcome to Now Playing's review of The Dark Tower. You can't stop what's coming. Death always wins. Part of the Now Playing Stephen King movie series. There are other worlds than these. Hosted by Arnie. He's like the devil, isn't he? No, he's worse. Stuart. You're a gunslinger, right? And Jacob. Everyone you ever loved has died by my hand. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new installment of this series. And keep coming back as we continue looking at all the movies based on the writings of Stephen King. I see a tower. The man in black. And the gunslinger. And join Arnie at BooksAndNachos.com for in-depth reviews of all of Stephen King's books and short stories. Did you tell the kid whoever walks with you dies by my hand? These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Darkness is your weapon. Guns are mine. Listener discretion is advised. I do not aim at my hand. I aim at my eye. I do not shoot with my hand. I shoot with my mind. I do not kill with my gun. I kill with my heart. Today we're discussing The Dark Tower, starring Idris Elba, Matthew McConaughey, Tom Taylor, Claudia Kim, Fran Franz, Abby Lee, and Jackie Earl Haley, directed by Nicolas Arcel. This is Arnie, son of Arnaldo, here to palaver with my cotet of podcast slingers. Stuart, I have to be brief. This whole thing's brief. <laughs> I'm going to be minimalist. <laughs> and this is Jacob. I do not podcast with my mouth. I podcast with my heart. Aww. <laughs> Stephen King! We're back at Stephen King. We wanted to tie into a theatrical release. And no, we're not doing it. We're doing Dark Tower. I think most fans would like us to be doing both. It is on the back burner because there were some mixed messages regarding it, but this It movie was supposed to be called It Part 1, The Losers Club. Stephen King himself tweeted that Part 2 was starting to be filmed last March. We thought for sure Part 2 was on the way, a guaranteed thing. Now the studio's like, well, we're waiting to see how Part 1 does. Might be a sign of no faith. We don't know, but we're... Either holding out for part two or news they're not doing part two. They'll have to rush it because they want those kids back. They want them to be about the same age. But there was never any question about The Dark Tower, which was hard for me, the Stephen King fan, who's never read any of The Dark Tower books. And when looking at books and nachos, I actually was taking Dark Tower and like, oh, I'll cover all the Dark Tower novels in order when the last one came out chronologically, because I just kept pushing it off, pushing it off, I tried to read The Gunslinger in the late 80s when it came out as a paperback. And the key word is tried. I tried twice. I'm going to say right now, there will be some spoilers for the Dark Tower series of books, some light ones, because I think I have to discuss all the books when discussing this movie. How many books are there? Well, that depends on how you count. Oh my god. There are seven <laughs> base novels. <laughs> and when I say that first one is hard to read, it is really hard to read. Even coming back this year, I tried to reread The Gunslinger. It's five short stories. It was originally published in a Dickinsonian way because it was in a magazine over the span of years and just continuing. And so when he published that first book, it was five short stories. 
But what I later found out is he actually started writing those short stories in 1970, before he was ever published, around the time he was writing some of the Bachman stuff. And when he got an agent and an agent's like, I'm going to sell your stories, he literally pulled this one out of a trunk and said, sell this one. And it kind of caught on. His early writing is rough. Anything pre-carry, truthfully, is a little bit rougher. And so reading those first two short stories is a trek through a desert. I think I've tried to read some of the Dark Tower stuff. I don't know. Marvel started publishing Dark Tower comics. I had to look this up to see when it started. 2007. But they went through all the way up to 2015. They were still putting out Dark Tower comics. But I started, you know, the comic book store I went to, they'd always have a comic of the week guaranteed. If you didn't like it, you could return it, get credit for another comics. I'm like, what the heck? I'll try this Stephen King. This is supposed to be a big epic, the Dark Tower. So the Dark Tower, the Gunslinger Born. I read that first issue, had no idea what happened in it. Didn't make any sense to me. Return it and got some credit for another comic. This is where I say it depends on how you count. Because there's the seven basic novels. Then there's that Stephen King fantasy book, The Eyes of the Dragon, which isn't a Dark Tower book in title, but it turns out is a prequel to all the Dark Tower stuff dealing with King Arthur. And then King, even though he was done with the series, wrote an eighth Dark Tower book, but it takes place between books four and five. (laughs) And then Stephen King has written outlines for other stories about Roland the Gunslinger and his quartet or his group of padres there. And Peter David wrote those into comic books. So, Jacob, it's not like The Stand. So that's not an adaptation I was reading. That was a sequel to all these eight or nine other books. I think The Gunslinger Born is technically a prequel to those eight or nine other books. (laughs) But I had to read eight or nine other books to really understand this one. (laughs) At least three. I would say the first book is really a chore. The second book is good, but weird. I will cover them all on Books and Nachos. But yes, How I Spent My Summer Vacation... Why is there not a Firestarter Books and Nachos? Because I dove deep for this. I did not read book eight. I did not read his addendum that takes place between four and five. But I have read all seven Dark Tower novels front to back. Over 4,000 pages of steampunk, fantasy, (laughs) sci-fi, New York City in the 70s and the 60s and the 80s. It's huge. Everything I read, it feels like Stephen King has something in the contract. If you discuss Dark Tower, you must call it my magnum opus. And so here I will, just in case that's somewhere and he's going to sue me. It is his magnum opus spanning his entire career and shit gets dense. (laughs) And that's what confused me. I always thought The Stand was like his Lord of the Rings, but then I hear about this Dark Tower stuff. All his other stuff, I think, is supposed to all be related in the same Stephen King universe. Does the Dark Tower tie into that because i was surprised they're gonna just talk a whole lot about the shining in this movie all right (laughs) (laughs) it's not a simple answer okay (laughs) here's the thing and i won't get too into it for this podcast because we try not to run longer than the movie and this movie's damn short (laughs) so you're gonna have to wait a year or two for my books and nachos probably 10 years before i get to the seventh book of the series that came out in this century but When it started out, Stephen King wanted to write his Lord of the Rings, and he was writing these short stories thinking maybe they could be a novel. And then he wrote a couple more novels after he'd given up for a long time, but he didn't feel comfortable in that fantasy genre. And so they start taking place in New York in the 80s with heroin addicts. I mean, the first book is entirely about Roland the Gunslinger. They don't even call him Roland until the last page, just the Gunslinger 
chasing a man through a desert, the man in black. Two people with no names. He's supposed to be Clint Eastwood. It was supposed to be the man with no name going on this hunt for this man in black because of the tower. And at the end of that first book, they palaver, have a long conversation. I want to say that I have actually read Gunslinger. I did a book report on Stephen King way back in grade (laughs) school, and it was before there was any other Dark Tower. So to me, this was the outlier. It didn't feel like an epic. It felt like a Louis L'Amour pulp western. I was completely confused by it. (laughs) What I read, it wasn't a graphic novel, but it had paintings in the middle of it. it. It felt like an illustrated novel. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, this movie ain't based on eight books. This movie could be based on a haiku. I mean, there is... 95 minutes. You're talking about epic. I can't think of a movie with less ambition that I've seen in quite some time. I got, I wrote a haiku about it. Kid with the Shining teams up with a gunslinger, shoots McConaughey. Says everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. There's the plot summary. <laughs> it's actually not a haiku, but King got his entire idea from the Robert Browning poem, Child Roland to the Dark Tower Came. Oh, God. I don't even want to say that title, but all right, tell me. Tell me more. (laughs) Well, that's where you got the names and things. He was inspired by that 1855 poem to read these books. And by the time you get to books four and five, you're in a different place than you were in book one, when it was supposed to just be this Lord of the Rings fantasy. Now you're dealing with almost like a Marvel Comics multiverse, where they mention in this movie Keystone Earth. That is the real Earth. It's like Earth 1, Earth 2, I I guess that's a DC reference. But yeah, they have what, in Marvel's Earth 1622? 616 is the keystone Earth of Marvel. And there's all these other Earths, somewhere Gerald Ford is still president, somewhere Lincoln didn't get shot, you know? There's an infinite number of Earths. And really what you're dealing with at the Dark Tower is like a post-apocalyptic Mad Max Earth in the year 10,000-something or other. And yes, Stephen King's stories are on other Earths. So King has been writing stories from other Earths. The Stand is in one Earth, and then Salem's Lot's another Earth. Now, many of King's stories that take place in Castle Rock are in the same Earth. But Stephen King wrote himself as a character in this book. I mean, it gets really weird... The gunslinger and Jake save Stephen King from being killed by the truck that hit him on the road in 99. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) He's hit and not killed versus if they hadn't been there, he'd have been killed. My first word was minimalist. Now my word is masturbatory. (laughs) Here's my question, then, because I hear some grumbling already from you two, and you've read the books. You're Stephen King fans. This is pretty much all new to me. How do you take this magnum opus... And how does it become a 90-minute film from Sony? Oh, that's a funny story, too. And I truthfully think that the quest to bring the gunslinger to the screen is a greater epic than what ended up being (laughs) on the screen. Oh, that's obvious. I mean, it's safe to say no one wanted to make the movie we're here to talk about today. No one. What was it supposed to be? Because this is nobody's vision. Well, it really started between Akiva Goldsman and Ron Howard back in the year 2000 when they were filming A Beautiful Mind. And Akiva's like, this is what we need to do, Ron. We need to go do the Gunslinger series. And Ron's like, all right, well, how in the hell would you do that? And Akiva's like, oh, it's real easy. And he went and realized it wasn't too easy (laughs) and spent several years thinking about this. In the meantime, though, somebody actually got the rights. J.J. Abrams took the rights to it in 2007 with his 
ever-present partner Damon Lindelof doing the writing. But in 2010, Universal got the rights, and I've actually had the pleasure of speaking in depth with somebody who was involved in this. They had a major session of storyboarding and planning out how you would do this. The first film would be based on the third book and start off with Roland and two of his fellow gunslingers from New York City, Susanna and Eddie, fighting a cybernetic bear. <laughs> a cybernetic bear? Yeah, I'm hooked. Okay. <laughs> Definitely wanted to see that movie. And they'd be joined by Jake, the little boy, throughout the course of that movie. So he's from the books. This isn't someone they added in for a viewpoint character. My memory is Jake dies. He falls off a mountain or something, like in book one. Yeah, he does. Oh, he comes back. Let me guess. Something magical and too hard to explain without a five-hour conversation happens. There's time travel and there's multiple Earths. Yeah, all right. Well, that's what's weird about this universe. It's like there's cowboys and there's magics, as McConaughey wants Mm. to say, and there's aliens and science. I don't even understand this universe. I hear that everyone is struggling to bring this epic vision to a condensed form. Is it worth it? This seems like a lot of work. I mean, like dragging your car home instead of driving it. (laughs) (laughs) The books, I have mixed opinions on. I really got into the universe and I really got into the characters. And after spending all summer, including the past month, where every free moment I was flipping pages in this universe, I feel like I've lost some friends. I'm going to be actually reading book eight because I am dealing with some postpartum depression here because I enjoy this universe and i thought about it is this adaptable what i think about is you've got harry potter you've got lord of the rings you've got game of thrones all simple concepts easy to explain to an audience but this could be a mad max road warrior type concept Mm. in its most basic format that you could build upon now again involving a cybernetic bear Involving a cybernetic bear. <laughs> I mean, like, there's always something simple to any epic. You know what I mean? Like, what is the log line? What is this about? A protecting a tower in the middle of the universe or multiverse? I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what this movie's about. But is that what the series is about? Kind of. Because they get waylaid a lot along the way. And in fact, that tower is a MacGuffin that isn't even that important <laughs> for four of the books. <laughs> I love it. So let's name your magnum opus after it. <laughs> Thank God it's called the Dark Tower series because the Dark Tower doesn't matter. It's perfect. It does at the end, but it... <laughs> or maybe it won't when we time travel in the next book. I can tell you there's a reason why I never read any more after Gunslinger. I think that they could have done something. They were going to have Javier Bardem as Roland. That would be good casting. Depending on the haircut they give him. Yeah, I'm thinking No Country for Old Men, and it's kind of a gruff character, but okay, maybe. But they were going to start with part three, and then do a number of movies that would be separated by television series, so they could tell some of the smaller stories and flashbacks on HBO, and do the big epic stories on screen. And they were planning, I think... Four movies and three TV series and... (laughs) Yeah, so they got ahead of themselves. Way ahead. You don't plan a TV series until you know people want to see more. Universal was completely on board until they gave him the final number. The accountants came together and said, here's the number. And Universal backed out. 
Yeah, Universal behind the Dark Universe movies that they're trying to spin off. Not always so good with the franchise. <laughs> Stephen King said something really snarky about them feeling more comfortable with Fast and Furious Vin Diesel films than Dark Tower. So they went to Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers was all in. They got Russell Crowe now as the gunslinger. And HBO was going to do it again. And Warner said, too busy, backed out again. So Sony picked it up. And they said, okay, but we're not doing this. We need an entirely new script. We're not doing the cybernetic bear. You guys have lived with that cybernetic bear script for seven years. We need a new script. We need to scale it back and make it more like the first book. As I mentioned, the first book is really simple. It's the gunslinger chases the man in black through the desert. Along the way, he encounters a couple people, one of whom is a child named Jake, who died. He's from our Earth, was pushed in front of a car and died, and his afterlife was where Roland is. And so he and Roland continue following the man in black together, and then, spoiler alert, the gunslinger has to make a choice. He can capture the man in black and let Jake fall to his death, or he can save Jake and the man in black gets away. And the gunslinger's like, sorry, Jake, <laughs> and goes after the man in black and allows the boy to die. But he's already dead, so he's dying in the afterlife. Correct. And because it's a multiverse, there's a million of them, and he never dies. Except this is the real him. And time travel. Yeah, and time travel. <laughs> See, in book two, Roland goes into Earth and stops Jake from being pushed into the car, creating a paradox. I'll someday get into all of this. It's completely irrelevant for this conversation, but that is a scaled back story. You have a gunslinger chasing a man in black and a kid's tagging along and they're going through the desert and it's going to, at the end, tease future stories. That seems very sellable and very manageable financially. So here's my question then. Seeing this movie, did Sony have hopes for a franchise? Because it seems like they do everything they can to wrap it up in this film. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? However, they have said... Just this past weekend, they have announced a showrunner for the Gunslinger TV series. And they say there's sequels, they say there's television series still coming. Here's what happened, though. They met with Stephen King, and Stephen King's like, yeah, I'll sell you the rights to the Dark Tower, but any creative decisions must be approved by me. Oh, that's a... Don't you never agree with King with that. Yeah, exactly. We'll wait. How much longer do you think he has to live? Well, we'll just wait this one out. <laughs> and then Sony picked it up, and Sony's like, okay, well, all creative decisions have to be approved by us, too. And they partnered with a company called MRC. And MRC's like, well, we want final say on the final cut and any promotional materials related to this movie. So you had three struggling people. During all of this, Ron Howard's like, I'm not directing this anymore. <laughs> yeah, you walk away at this point. When you got three companies with veto power, walk away. Yeah, I'll have final say. This sounds like a nightmare. That's why they end up with some director. I don't even know who this guy is. I can't even say his name. Yeah, I can't either, but I did go back to watch his film. He is a screenwriter and Danish director who got an Oscar nomination about five years ago for a movie called Royal Affair. It's really dry. It's kind of a king speech, kind of help a mad king govern 
kind of a comedy, then turns into a tragedy. Nothing in here says, yeah, we need to hire him for the Dark Tower. I think why he got this gig was he was responsible for adapting the Millennium Trilogy, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Those are some very complicated, intricate, conspiracy-minded books. Not the Fincher one that faded out, but the original, what, Swedish versions? Yeah, there was a television, TV movie versions of them first, and he was able to do all three of the books. So they haven't done that with Fincher. I think they're trying to get it started again, but Fincher's version died. This got completed, and so, yeah, if you wanted someone that took a really complicated literary property and made sense of it on film, then I guess that's what you get from Nikolai Arcel. That and a low budget, yes, that is exactly why they went to him. And Ron Howard did stay involved as a producer, but... If anyone read that Variety article, things kind of went to hell anyway. Yeah, who would have thought with three parties with veto power, including King, who Kubrick's Shining is the worst adaptation ever. Yeah, how could this go wrong? This film was supposed to come out last February. We should have been discussing it back when we were covering Silver Bullet. They did test screenings in October that were described as disastrous. And they spent $6 million doing reshoots, cut five minutes of exposition, and a new scene was shot to combine ideas that had previously been sprinkled throughout the picture because the big thing was, it's too confusing. Mm. Well, they solved that problem. I'll just go ahead and say up front, I was prepared for something complicated, intricate, and epic, and I feel like, yeah, this movie's very straightforward. 95 minutes. Now, there was also a lot of drama in the editing room. Everybody except Nicolaj Arcel says Arcel has been removed, and that even Ron Howard himself came in and did some edits of this, and that a lot of various uncredited people came in to edit this, but the result is... A corporate film that is a shocking 95 minutes. I mean, I did not expect to be leaving the theater less than two hours after it started with 22 minutes of trailers. <laughs> yeah, I tried to get my mom to go. I mean, I went opening day and I didn't want to go by myself. And I was like, Mom, you got nothing going on. Let, let's go see this movie. And she's like, well, what's it about? You know, she liked the address. <laughs> she liked McConaughey. I'm like... I was like, I realized I didn't know. I was just like, well, it's sort of a Western. And I could see her face like puckering. And I'm like, well, but it's, I think it's a Tolkien realm. When I said the expression Tolkien realm, that was it. That was the <laughs> There's no more. She's like, no, I'm not going. I think you described it the wrong way because Krishan had seen the trailer, my wife, and she really wanted to go based on that trailer. I don't think it looks Tolkien from that trailer. It does just look like a sci-fi cowboy time travel type movie. Yeah, it looked to me like some steampunky Matrix type shit. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure that that would have gotten my mom there anyway, but... I will say, I was surprised. I went, because we're recording this a little later than usual, I was going to take an economic advantage and go the first showing Saturday morning, because that is the cheapest ticket you could get, that first showing any day. And that theater was about three quarters packed. Maybe people are just cheap and wanted to take that same advantage, but I was surprised. I thought I'd be the only one there with the reputation this film has. Yeah, so I saw a matinee. I saw it at 10 a.m. with a whole bunch of old people. More on that later. It was old people, yes, I agree. <laughs> I saw it at 719. At 1919? Yes, 1919. I honestly thought that was an error. I mean, I read the books and I knew 19 was a big number in some of them, but it's really not a big point of this movie and it's so geeky to make it 719 that I thought it was an error. I thought maybe somebody at the AMC IT department 
has to type this in in 2400 hour format and put the hour in both the hour and the minute time. <laughs> I mean, I did some hard research and checked nationwide to see that all theater chains were doing. Most of them listed it at 720, which completely ruins the effect, but it was supposed to be at 719. It would have been so much better at 719, wouldn't it have been? I would have been happier if they'd started it at 7 and limited themselves to 19 minutes of trailers and actually started the damn film at 719. (laughs) But I did go opening night. I expected to be pretty empty, and my local AMC thought so too, because they shoved us in the smallest screen in the entire theater But it was pretty full. It wasn't sold out, but you also couldn't find two seats without sitting next to someone. I mean, this was number one. It didn't even do 20 million. So it was just a bad box office weekend. But it did enough to, I guess, beat Dunkirk its third week out. And thank goodness beat the Emoji Movie. (laughs) I'd like to beat the Emoji Movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's what you got to look at, though. Yes, it's number one, but its per screen average was actually pretty high. It just didn't get a lot of screens. So its reputation was so bad, the theaters didn't even want to carry it. Yeah, Dunkirk is currently on over 4,000 screens. This movie opened at 3450 screens. So when I say that my theater was packed, you didn't have a lot of choice of showings. I was going to see this movie a second time today, but it's literally on just two screens out of 28 in my city, whereas most opening movies would be on at least four. Yeah, I noticed there was no 3D version. They weren't really pushing it that heavy. Who knows? This may end up being profitable because I think they made it cheap. I think it's a 60 million budget and a 20 million opening. They could conceivably hit that. Admittedly, this could be successful. Not critically. I did go in (laughs) knowing the Rotten Tomatoes score was not all I'd hoped, but I'd read seven damn novels. I was, I'd read the art of book to get behind the scenes information and making of information and even see art for scenes that were cut from the final film. (laughs) I don't know that I could have been more ready. And I want to say this. I think the casting for this film is amazing. I did start reading The Gunslinger for the final time after the cast was announced, but when I read that book, despite him being called a honky mofo many times, I couldn't picture The Gunslinger as anyone other than Idris Elba. Every performance I've ever seen of his seems perfect for the laconic, dry-witted gunslinger that King wrote. So despite the fact that, yeah, they made a big deal out of him being white in the books, I think Idris is completely right. And I was excited for this. I even posted to Books and Nacho some pictures of gunslinger action figures. I'm like, Idris is so much the gunslinger. No matter what I think of this movie, I may want a figure of him because it's cool from the books. Yeah, and I thought Matthew McConaughey as Randall Flagg was a great idea. They heard they were going to put him in the stand too. And then I get to the movie and he's not Randall Flagg. <laughs> what is that about? Was Randall Flagg called the man in black in the stand? I was trying to remember that. He was the walking dude. Okay. Not the man in black. Because when Stephen King first wrote about The Man in Black, it was 1970. He was a good five years away from even thinking about writing The Stand. Walter didn't become Randall Flagg until around book four or five. Oh, so he does become Randall Flagg. It turns out that he has existed throughout many universes and many points in time and has taken many names, most of which have the initials RF, and you'll find him in like 20 of King's books and short stories. But in this case, he took the name Walter O'Dim. <laughs> because that's 
so scary. Walter is coming for you. Well, they do make a joke about that, too, in the film, which I like. Like, Walter? Really? The man in black is Walter? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when you can't explain why your movie is stupid, then you just make fun of it, I guess. But that is just a terrible idea. Walter as the man in black. McConaughey and Idris, good casting, but this doesn't seem like it's a good use of their star power. Knowing that Randall Flagg and Walter O'Dim were the same people, I never got McConaughey in my head, but man, did I get that mullet-wearing dude from the Stan miniseries. <laughs> yeah, and if you were going to do that on a big screen, McConaughey would be a good version of that actor. But here's the thing. I had to read all of those books because this movie isn't a retelling of those books. This movie is a sequel. So you're telling me I need to have read all of those books in order to fully enjoy this? Ah, I don't know. I felt like I got this without reading all those. (laughs) I feel like there's details missing that they could have, maybe in those cuts that the audiences didn't like during the test screenings, there's exposition that got cut out. I do feel like there's things that could have been filled out more, but I get this movie. It's not tough. Well, here's the big secret. And spoiler alert, it's a minor spoiler, but the very end of book seven of The Dark Tower... It turns out Roland is on a Sisyphean quest. He reaches the Dark Tower, only they literally hit reset and are like, all right, now you have to go do this again. You found the Dark Tower a thousand times. You'll find it a thousand times more. I think maybe King had seen The Matrix Reloaded and is like, yeah, I'm going to do that (laughs) ending. So he can just keep writing the books. Yeah, there we go. There's the real reason, because he's going to keep going at it. And so the end of the seventh book is the gunslinger going after the man in black in the desert only this time he has the horn of eld which he didn't have the first time and apparently idris has the horn of eld here and so what we're actually seeing is like part eight they say that they call it ka but fate is a wheel and so we're seeing yet another revolution so they don't have to stick to those books they can alter basically everything hmm I don't know, Arnie. Can you give me a simple plot? It's a simple movie. I know it doesn't validate spending all that time on eight different books, but you did the research. You tell us what we're watching. The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Although he doesn't really seem to be fleeing. The man, they actually use that line in this movie. Walter isn't fleeing very much. And in fact, this movie isn't about the gunslinger. This movie's about Jake Chambers, a young boy living in New York City, played by Tom Taylor. He lives with his mother and stepfather, but at night he has dreams of a man in black, a gunslinger, and a tower. He believes his dreams to be real, but his parents, of course, don't. When he has troubles in school, they try to send him away to a psychiatric institution for study. But in fact, Jake's dreams are real, and the people who purport to be from a mental hospital are in fact agents of the man in black, Walter Paddock, played by Matthew McConaughey. Walter is a servant of the Crimson King and has been tasked with destroying the Dark Tower, a structure that holds together the entire universe and any untold number of worlds. If the tower falls, monsters from outside the universe will invade and the Crimson King will rule. To destroy the tower, Walter's men have been kidnapping psychic kids, or they say kids with the shine. Never said in the book. (laughs) by the way. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's a that's a new thing they added here. We're wanting to reboot Mrs. Torrance. <laughs> they rob these kids of their psychic powers, and in doing so, fire Death Star-like lasers that weaken the tower. And Jake's shine is so strong, he alone is enough to bring down the tower. 
And I'm just going to stop right okay. now. That's fine. I'm good. Because I'm going to explain <laughs> something here. None of this is in any of the books. <laughs> okay. Or maybe you just haven't gotten to that book yet. That's a book eight that you skipped. <laughs> in the book, The Wolves of Kala, robots that look like men on horseback come and steal twins because twins have a psychic bond. They take the twins and they extract part of their brain and they feed the brain Two adults who then have been forced to write a computer program that breaks the beams that support the tower. So they took this entire thing about cannibalism and feeding brains to unsuspecting scientists and twins and robots and put it all down to, we're going to put Jake in a chair and he's going to fire the Death Star. (laughs) Works for me. I mean, the simplest answer is the best. Oh, but it seems so dumb. To me, it seems really dumb that Jake is the linchpin that could bring down the tower, but alright. Book's back on the shelf, let me finish off this plot summary. But Walter's nemesis is the gunslinger, Roland of Eld, played by Idris Elba. So, <laughs> couldn't it be it, Roland of Elba? Yeah, when they start saying of L, I'm like, that's some Lord of the Rings shit, don't go there. You're the fan of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see it with cowboys, and I don't even know what category this movie is in. They say his gun is made out of Excalibur. I know, I love it! The third Excalibur movie this summer, damn it! Yes. Transformers, Dark Tower, King Arthur. He pulled that gun out of a fucking rock. <laughs> Roland is the last gunslinger and the last of his bloodline which descends from King Arthur. Walter killed everyone Roland ever loved. Who's this one person? His dad. Yes. But there's others that they couldn't afford in this micro-budgeted version. <laughs> I mean, there's Cuthbert and so many others in the book. It's okay. Keep going. Minimalist. Including Roland's father. So Roland has given up the title of gunslinger, protector of the tower, and embarked on a quest for revenge only to kill Walter. Jake's visions take him to a portal in Brooklyn that transports him off Keystone Earth and to Midworld. There in the desert, he meets Roland, who doesn't trust the boy but looks out for him. When Jake shows drawings he's made of the man in black, Roland takes Jake to the Sears in the Manny village. But the man in black is tracking all portal use, and Jake shines and sends rat-like troops called Tahine to capture the boy. Together, the Manny Seer named Ara reveals the location of the Man in Black's base, but it's six months' travel unless they use a portal. They deduce a portal to Walter's base must be in New York City, so they go to New York and shoot their way into the portal at a barbecue restaurant. (laughs) I love that. Underground barbecue restaurant. (laughs) It's also a parking lot, I think. (laughs) They grill it up on level three. But Jake is captured by Walter and strapped into the chair. And while Roland tries to save the boy, Walter stalls the gunslinger, catching all bullets Roland fires. But Roland does a trick shot, surprising Walter and hitting him, allowing Roland to kill the man in black. Through the portal, he shoots Jake free from the chair and shoots the chair, causing Walter's base to explode. (laughs) Chair equals destruction. Minimalist. The tower safe, Roland and Jake return to the Manny village in Midworld through the portal as credits roll. <laughs> so I got excited. I've been living in the world of the Dark Tower for so long. In the middle of all of those movie titles, probably neither of you noticed a company you'd never heard of. The Tet Corporation. It was in with Sony and all these others. It had a little turtle logo. That's something from the... Books, the Tet Corporation, and their turtle, the whole world is on the turtle's back. So, 
Yeah, it was a little Easter egg. There's a lot of Easter eggs here. Jacob, you asked if all of Stephen King's books connect to the Dark Tower. It seems like they do through this movie. We've got The <laughs> Shining, Cujo's gonna cameo, Christine, Misery. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Easter eggs, but Easter was four months ago. <laughs> I'll say this as we get into this film. I mean, they're going to tell you at the center of the universe, there's a tower that's keeping evil out of the world. I wanted to know more about this tower. We're going to get a shot of it at, at this beginning where some kids are on a playground. We get that 1919 right away and they're strapped into chairs, beams. You said those Death Star beams are shot at this tower. I thought they blew up the tower at the beginning because that looked like a strong shot. There's a lot of debris coming out of it, but I wanted to know more why this tower was so important. Who built it? Who's living there? Is it just a big building in the sky somewhere? (laughs) We know nothing about this tower and it is pivotal. It is central to the multiverse and this film. Yeah, it's been pared down. I mean, you can just see that. The way that it begins. It is said that a tower at the center... Who said it? Give me credentials. <laughs> Give me names. Who said that? I, meanwhile, am in a bad place because it is said the mind of a child can bring it down. I'm like, no, no, a mind of a child can't bring it down. What is this? The never-ending story? I mean, technically, I guess it is because it does just loop. But no, I am not happy with the mind of a child. But Jacob, you're right. The tower does come down in that. What we're seeing is Jake's dream of the Dark Tower falling. So the 1919 being written in chalk on the sidewalk, the children in chairs watched by the man in black, the energy beam, the tower falling, that was all a dream. It's a prologue of what we will happen if the gunslinger doesn't stop it. But we see that it's having an effect on Earth. I guess they're rounding up kids, shooting whatever beams they can, and slowly bringing it down. It's causing a red sky on Earth, which, if you're a DC fan, that's always a moment of crisis when there's a red sky. But... It's causing earthquakes. I, I don't think or New York gets a lot of earthquakes, but this is like a regular thing now. And they're like, oh, we had an earthquake here and in Japan at the same time. What happens on one world echoes in others. So what they're doing is they're shooting ineffective beams that are, I guess are damaging the tower little by little. And it's causing the earthquakes and the red clouds in Tokyo, Berlin, and New York City. I was thinking the same thing. New Yorkers would freak the hell out if an earthquake hit. Yeah, I don't think New York's built for earthquakes like L.A. is. No, I definitely agree. And it's very helpful that CNN is there to give all of this exposition. Again, I am hyper aware that they are just hand-holding us along. This movie feels like it's geared for young audiences. This feels like a Narnia or a Hunger Games. Yeah, I, I was thinking Divergent, Maze Runner, th- those ones I haven't seen, but are definitely for the teens. I think it is meant for, yeah, tweens and teens. You've got a point. I hadn't considered that because I've come with this. I come to this movie from the point of view of having read the books now. And we always try to bring those three different viewpoints. So I was coming to see what they did with the stories. The stories are certainly not that. But my feeling was that this was too dulled. This PG-13 rating, A, I think it could have been PG. They don't even use their one F-bomb. And B, there's so much silly violence in this movie and so much just off-screen death. I'm like, what is supposed to be the impact of this? I'm really feeling let down, but I don't go see Divergent. And I feel Hunger Games had more edge than this movie does. If they want to make it PG-13 to get more kids to see this, whatever, fine. I I don't have a whole lot of problems with how they cut the violence. There is one scene, though, where the man in black, uh, I guess we have to call him Walter, he tells a girl, hate, a little girl. And I feel like if this was R-rated, you would have seen that little girl like attack her mother. (laughs) And instead, it just like cuts away. I wanted that to be like, I waited through all the trailers to see if there was a stinger at the end. I wanted to see her like stabbing her mom with that pop. Yes. (laughs) 
he is the worst villain ever, isn't he? He is, first of all, a micromanager. Second of all, he's wandering through New York City. I love the look of McConaughey as the man in black. I think McConaughey is giving everything he can to a poorly written role. But, man, when he's just walking through the city and he's basically punking people, he's like, hate, stop breathing. This is not from the book either that Walter has this immediate command over people and can just tell you to die and you die. He's much more like in the stand, like we see him where there's a little bit of magic, maybe some fortune telling, but he's not this omnipotent being and Roland is not strangely immune for reasons we'll never know. First of all, you mean magics. Donna <laughs> wants to keep saying. But I was wondering about this power to say something, you have to do it. I'm like, when was this written? Because if you've Watch The Preacher on, I think, AMC, or if you've read that comic book, The Preacher has the power of the word of God, and you have to do whatever he says. There's some real gruesome stuff he makes people do, and I'm like, wow, did Ennis steal that from The Dark Tower, or did King steal that from that Preacher series? But I guess just the screenwriter stole it from the Preacher series. I think it's worth pointing out, none of us like Akiva. <laughs> we have never liked Akiva. <laughs> I mean, even a beautiful mind, Akiva, you're overrated, man. And Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, I Am Legend, Da Vinci Code, Paranormal Activity. I mean, he wrote Lost in Space. With Matthew LeBlanc? Yes. So this guy is not somebody who I'm a fan of to begin with. I don't think he does any favors to King's work here. Now, King has often been his own worst enemy, see the remake of The Shining, but here, King's been done wrong. I have no doubt that this is not respectful of eight books of 500 pages each. But I do feel like if you were making it for a young audience and just we're dealing with what sounds like a real mess, honestly, which sounds like something that cannot be adapted at all, but you have to do it in a feature film for a wide variety of audience. Okay, there's a tower that they're shooting at with their mind and they're hunting for kids and therefore it makes the primary audience also the main character this movie is for 12 year olds who think that they're the center of the universe and held all the power to change everything it's helpful that it's that simple even if it's disrespectful to the source see i got no loyalties to the source i realized early on okay this is a tween again divergent maze runner hunger games type story so i'm just going with it on that level that's how i decided to judge this film because early on i get it when you're seeing jake and he's getting bullied when they take away his sketchbook with all his crazy dream drawings in and i'm like okay this is what kind of movie it is did you guys recognize jake's mom yes because we are going to be seeing her in radio free albemouth in just a few weeks and then a couple weeks after that we're going to be seeing her in hellraiser hell world oh wow who was she in Radio Free? The wife? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Exactly. This is her <laughs> career. Standing around and watching other people do the movie and then having no role. But I'm surprised to hear you guys say the words, I got it. Because watching this to me, everything was moving so quickly. I felt like without knowing at least the basis of the books, that this would be confusing. Like, mm -hmm. why is this kid having visions? What is the man in black? <laughs> no, psychic kid. Yeah, you're special. You're magical. How many times have we seen that? You're Harry 
Potter. You know, it doesn't matter. By the end of this movie, I want to know, hey, what is that tower all about? Why is there science and magics going on? I have a lot of questions about how this universe works, but as far as what the story is, okay, there is a generic man in black who is the generic evil, and there is the gunslinger who is the generic good guy, and there is the tower that is the generic magic MacGuffin. It's so generic, it's really easy to understand. To me, the movie I kept going back to was Invaders from Mars, uh, either the 80s one or the 1950s one. But the whole idea that the adult world is corrupt, you know, you got your shrinks and they want to get in your head and your school and all of that. And truthfully, you have all of the power within you to already know how to navigate the world. You're not the crazy, it's the world that's crazy. These are tropes that are very relatable in YA fiction and movies of the 80s, Spielbergian themes. I really thought Spielberg a lot in this movie. For example, in the books, Jake was not the son of a dead father. He didn't like his father. His father was a workaholic TV executive. Here, it feels straight out of the 80s that the mother has remarried. None of this is well-defined. I got the fact that this was a husband, not a boyfriend, out of the art of book, and that she remarried just because she needed financial support to help raise her son and doesn't like her husband. But that, and then later on, when the portal opens and you get the doorway filled with light, I was thinking Close Encounters and E.T. and so many Spielberg movies. I think with Jake... They definitely looked back to the 80s type films to see what kind of tropes they could draw on to make this kid special, like you say. I would prefer them to have looked at The Shining instead of Close Encounters, but that's not the movie they're making. And it is more horror than I suspected. Again, my hazy memories of that first book was that it was sort of a Western with Tolkien ambitions. But no, I mean, this does feel like it's a frightening world where monsters wear human skin and that they're going to come for him under the guise of being self-help and an institution upstate that helps children with problematic psychological disorders. This feels like a horror movie. This feels like Roald Dahl and Stranger Things, that kind of stuff. Going back to the prologue, we do see like, I don't know, rat creatures or dog creatures. I don't know. The, the humanoid animals. Tahine. Tahine. Well, okay, whatever you want to call them. They look like a giant rat to me as a human. But the man in black doesn't like to look at them. He likes beauty. I don't know. He makes everyone wear human skin suits. Yes, because the budget couldn't afford good-looking masks, and so everyone must look like a human. They're supposed to be rat people and snake people and bird people and all of this are the tahine. Wow. Also... There's vampires in this movie. I don't know if you caught that. This sounds like some real Narnia shit. Like, you had <laughs> Tolkien, who's like, okay, we got elves and wizards and goblins. And then you had C.S. Lewis come along. Let me do my version of Lord of the Rings. And we're just going to have everything. Talking animals and minotaurs. And this is just everything is thrown in. Yeah, and it sounds like, honestly, Stephen King invited everyone over to his house and promised them unicorns and dragons and anything that they could ever think of. And then he told the catering people and they just all made hot dogs. It's like, nope, this is all we got. Just eat the hot dog. That's all we're going to get. What breed? <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. I wish I knew more about the tahine in this and that they just weren't rat-faced creatures or something. But What more do you need to know in order to understand it on this level? though they're monsters that want to take this kid away and he's trying to tell his mom that they're part of his dreams and she wants to believe him you know because they have uh, biological relations she has more inclination to believe her child whereas the stepfather is like i just want this wife to myself and it'd be convenient for this kid to be institutionalized and so yeah you get the moment where 
the kid has to make the choice to go out on his own. And a little bit of very lame parkour. I gotta say, this action <laughs> is, it really lets you know where all the money goes on those Hollywood productions we see on summer movies. I mean, I would expect to see this kind of stuff on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, he runs out because he went to this website, helped me find it, and posted a drawing of a house after Jake realizes it's not up his butt. <laughs> Which, I mean, at least they got internet trolls right in this movie. Then... He finds out that this house he's looking for is in Brooklyn, and it's a house that is going to have a portal to take him to Midworld. Conveniently, a small train ride away. It's just so convenient. It's like, oh, it could be all the way across the world, and you'd have to go on an epic battle. Nah, it's just down the street. I did love one thing about this movie that I've never seen before, is he's running from the Tahin who are pretending to be from the mental institution. And he runs into a subway stop. And you've seen this in a million movies. Usually they jump the turnstile and then they make it to the subway just in time as the doors close, right? No, he was smart. This is how New York subways work. He ran down one set of stairs, then ran up the other set of stairs across the street. So the people chasing him thought he went to the subway. And he just came up another set of stairs. I actually liked that as some staging of a chase. They probably didn't have enough in their budget to afford the subway fee anyways. And he's a good kid. He makes sure that he calls his mom and lets her know that she's okay, to which I say they can't track him with his phone. What kind of parents are these guys? You got to get a special order to do that. That's that's a whole thing. No, you don't. I got a tracker. I can find my phone. Well, maybe he didn't turn it on. I don't know if that's going to actually work when he goes into a different dimension or a different world anyway. He probably doesn't have cell service there. (laughs) <laughs> so he goes into this house. Yeah, there is something about the Crimson King. Is that the man in black? Is he a rainbow assortment of evil here? Walter? Or is the Crimson King, is that something that comes when the tower comes down? I assumed, just based on the way it keeps dropping here, he's a bigger bad. That Walter is Darth Vader, and then this is the Emperor. I'd like to say that Walter is Darth Vader. I think the way that they're working it in these movies, Walter would be Darth Vader to the Crimson King's Emperor, when in fact... In the books, Walter is one of many red shirts that work for the Crimson King. But yes, the Crimson King is who will rule, and Walter is middle management. <laughs> he sounds like middle. Walter is always middle management. Because Walter's like, oh yeah, I want to do this because I'm going to rule when pure evil comes. But that's not true. And according to McConaughey in an interview, McConaughey's motivation is that Walter will overthrow the Crimson King after the tower comes down. Okay, so maybe in the third or fourth sequel movie, which I'm sure we'll get. (laughs) Fingers crossed. So we get the first of many exciting battles where the floor decides to try and eat him and he screams and it dies. Because he's got the shine. Yeah, (laughs) we're going to be told that this was a house demon by Walter. That's really minimalist. I gotta say, if these people remade Wizard of Oz, like, it'd be like, follow the yellow brick driveway. Like, 50 <laughs> pages, and the wizard's an app on her phone. <laughs> That's the thing, like, in a movie that would be more successful, in my opinion, is that, yeah, that wasn't minimalist. It would set up that, oh, this house demon's a really big deal. Again, we're going to get some words later, some expositional words that, man, he was able to beat that house demon with his shine. He must be really special. But to make this more dramatic, I would have to know, oh, this thing is real big bad. And for him to be able to defeat it, that's an amazing thing. I should keep my eye on this Jake kid. Yeah. In fact, In the book, there was a house demon that did attack Jake, and it was foreshadowed quite a bit. And in fact, Jake couldn't beat it because he's, you know, not a psychic 
immortal being. He doesn't have the quickening. Did you just speak a Highlander? Reference? I did. <laughs> And so Roland has to step through the portal to save Jake from the beast, and the beast isn't killed. Yeah, here, I'll give him this. It's a cool-looking effect to have the house come to life and use all these boards and things to attack. I liked that. But it just ended, and I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm telling you, this is like watching Lord of the Rings, but instead of going to, like, Mordor, they just, like, have to go down the hall to the toilet and flush the ring. (laughs) Well, it's like like that Hobbit movie rewatch that was, what, an hour long and covered the whole book? (laughs) There's just no energy. I mean, the kid's gonna basically gonna be marched to a chair and sit. Like, there's just (laughs) no activity in this movie. Nobody's doing anything. They just kind of scream. Like, even fighting a tower. Bring down a tower. You used to have to, like, throw, you know, flaming catapults and what have you. Here, you just sit in a chair and scream. There is some stuff going on. We see Walter burn a person for no apparent reason. This was supposed to be, and I did not get this from the film, a big battle that we were coming into being introduced to Roland and his father, Stephen. His father, Stephen, by the way, played by Dennis Haysbert, our first black president from 24. I will forever know him as Pedro from Major League. Oh, okay. That's Pedro? Yeah, that's Pedro. Wow. Say, Fuck you, Jobu. <laughs> he should have used some more voodoo in this. He maybe would have stayed alive. But here, I mean, blinking, you miss him, as in most things here. Yeah, this is the setup for why the gunslinger wants to kill the man in black is because he and his dad were sitting around in some fog that we're meant to believe was the end of a giant war? I think that's who Walter set fire to when he said burn and was like, there's nothing after this life, there's just darkness. I think that was supposed to be one of Roland's friends in this major battle that they just lost. Okay, yeah, a major battle. That's another complaint for me. I mean, again, that tower, what is that all about? What are the gunslingers all about? Like, they seem to be a big deal. Oh, this is the last gunslinger again. Hilariously, (laughs) his gun is Excalibur. I love that. It's so dumb. But who are these gunslingers? I don't know why I should care about the last gunslinger because they haven't been set up. Like, I don't even know what their power set is if we're talking in D&D terms. They are basically knights or musketeers or whatever you want to be the analog to, but they're law keepers, you know, they're the world's best shooters and they go through this hard training and here it sounds like gunslingers only exist to protect the tower. That's what I assume. So they're not there to protect the tower. Are they going throughout the multiverse? Are they just on this one world, a thing that called the gunslingers exist? Just the one world as far as anything I've read is. Oh, okay. See, I thought they were like time cop, all going all over the place trying to stop Walter. That's true. I guess because you're watching this movie and this movie almost instantly starts with this portal type of travel, you would think that that's like a major thing in the books and the entire universe. Truthfully, while portals do get used more and more as the books go on, it's kind of a novel thing, and mostly they're magic. Here, everything looks technological. There are a few technological ones. The statement is that the people used magic until technology came along, and they forgot to use the magics and started building the technology that would then do these things. But Roland never even knew portals existed until he was almost being killed by giant lobsters. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. It is his character arc that he's got to avenge this death and prove that he is still a gunslinger. I don't understand this as a conflict. You got a gun, you could fire it. You're a gunslinger. I don't know what this debate is about you're not a gunslinger. He's forgotten the face of his father, maybe? I mean, they say (laughs) that line a million times. I don't know what that means. He was only on screen for 25 seconds. (laughs) 
I'll never forget the face of his father. He hit a homer and then game. He got the pennant. But I do like like some of the dialogue King came up with. A lot of this stuff is straight from King. I don't think of things like I do not aim with my hand as being the type of stuff King writes. It's all King there. And the gunslingers have to follow a certain code. Now, this is new to the movie that just if you don't follow the code, you're not a gunslinger and then you are a gunslinger again. He was always a gunslinger because he graduated the class. It's literally like police academy. There's gunslinger academy. And at the end, you fight your teacher. And if you win, you're a gunslinger. And if you lose, you're banished from the city forever. Okay. So these gunslingers, at least in this movie... This is world 1919, I guess mid-world. This is a post-apocalypse world that these gunslingers live on. Like, there are amusement parks. And Roland's like, we have no idea what those are for. And Jake's like, oh, that's an amusement park. But this is a post-apocalypse world. Something bad happened. And what is going on in mid-world? All that's really said in the books is the world has moved on. And it's implied that there was a nuclear war. Like I said, at a certain point in, like, book six, I think, you find out it's year 10,000 and something. So... It's just a parallel Earth where the things we have exist, but the knowledge has been lost on how to make them. And when you find them, they're barely holding together if they still work at all. They got some makeshift portals going on, but they can't make a roller coaster work. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, Jake meets the gunslinger pretty easily. He sees a fire up on the mountain and wanders across the desert. And yeah, pretty soon they're data dumping, looking over the drawings, and we're learning all that we can about what's going on here. They do a very helpful diorama in the sand with him putting a stick in the ground and saying, this is the dark tower, this is the universe, and the spider is the evil that wants to get in. Yes, and there's the beams that hold up the tower. I don't know if that made any sense to you guys, but when you draw it out in the sand, it looked to me like a trivial pursuit type playing piece, but... Yeah, I thought each slice of the pie was like a different multiverse. It could be. The way Idris tries to explain it, it almost is, but then he's like, nobody knows how many worlds there are. Really, it's kind of an infinite thing. The thing that bugged me in the scene, did either of you notice Idris was out of focus for several of his close-up shots? They focused on his ear, not his face. No, I did not. They didn't even care enough to refilm so Idris could be in focus for this big exposition scene. They just, I'm, I'm like, why is he blurry? I can see his ear really sharp. What the f- mm. But I'll give it this. This mid-world looks really good once they take that shitty yellow filter off the screen. I mean- I have no kind words for the cinematographer here whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce. He worked with this director before, and yeah. so he came along. He is not equipped to shoot action worth a damn. But man, when you get into this, this was filmed in South Africa. These South African vistas really are glorious and otherworldly. Yeah, I was trying to figure out where this was. I, I'm like, Grand Canyon? It does look beautiful. But South Africa, that's where I got to go to see this. Talking about the cinematographer, is the reason this demon comes out at night and where it's really foggy because they just didn't have the money for it? Like, it is hard to see at night when there's demons popping up and they're shooting at them. Yeah, and here's the thing. They do a fake out here because they make camp by a, a failed amusement park. And I see the lettering Pennywise, right? This is going to be a killer clown. They even have a bumper car with a clown face on it. It's coming out in four weeks. Are they going to do a crossover? And one of the kids <laughs> that was bullying our 
protagonist is also in that movie. I thought the whole point of the Dark Tower epic world was it was where every character could meet. That Carrie is driving Christine and having, you know, <laughs> the dead zone visions. No, no. That is not what those books are at all. That never gets there. And in fact, Akiva mentioned in one of the things in the art book, there's just a rights nightmare about who owns which characters anyway. If they ever get later on, the characters they'd want to include are Randall Flagg, and strangely, the priest from Salem's Lot are the two big players. There is a cousin of Pennywise in the books, but Pennywise himself isn't. Is his name Pound Foolish? <laughs> <laughs> no, strangely, he's a stand-up comedian who kills you with comedy. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> oh, jeez. I figured you'd have a very complicated answer that would beg more questions. I'm not going to take that bait. Moving <laughs> on. But anyway, yeah, when I hear this kid being baited to wake up, and I'm like, well, it's going to look like his dad, and sure enough, it does who burned up in a fire. So, but who is it really? It's going to really be a clown. No, it's it's just a scorpion. I couldn't tell in the dark what was going on, but it became this big cloud, and then something that kind of looked like my dear brother Noomsi mm. played peekaboo by sticking its head out, and Roland shoots it, and then it becomes Roland's dad, and Roland shoots it again. And then I can't tell you what happens. It's got this big tail, and it gets Roland into a tree, and... It has Roland by the neck, I think, with the tail, but then it runs away. It's so dark, it's hard to tell what's going on. It is. It is really dark. I'm blaming the cinematographer for this, and I'm blaming just lack of money for this. They could fix so much of this in post if they had the money to do so, if they weren't worried about re-editing just to bring the scores up. But he's left hanging by his neck, and the creature's running away to go after Jake, who tried to get the gun. I'm confused and jake escapes just by hiding in a broken down ferris wheel well at one point roland says like bullets they're hard to come by are, is that because they have to be forged from excalibur too like <laughs> are they just shooting demons with regular bullets or i guess they're magic because they go through his gun they're just regular bullets oh that's weird i don't know how you shoot demons with a regular bullet okay i got a tip for you melt down this amusement park into bullets you got plenty of ammunition <laughs> at that point but hey minimalist Whatever. We're going to just do what we do. Here's where I realize, ah, this is why they're not marketing more towards children. This is why this is not a Nickelodeon project. The answer is Roland is going to tell the kid, you did a good job going for that gun. This is a story in which these two are going to bond like father and son over shooting people. And that just feels pretty wild for a kid's movie. And I wish they'd gone more there. I, in fact, retched in the theater. I very rarely do this. But again, I've been living in Midworld, so give me a little bit of slack for this. But I retched when Roland is teaching him to shoot later in the film. And Jake gets a target at a good distance. And then the Gunslinger says to him, Your weapon is the shine. My weapon is the guns. I'm like, Bullshit! Bullshit! Give Jake a gun! They became Gunslingers together! Stuart, you're sounding like a coastal elitist here. <laughs> like, yeah, I think in the Midwest, yeah, this is how a father and son bond. I get it, though. It, Hollywood, they want to be careful not to send the wrong message. They might shy away from that. But I don't think a lot of people would have a problem with a father figure and a son bonding over shooting. But King is a coastal elitist. I want to point that out. He has written many anti-gun diatribes. You, I've read one that's for sale on Kindle. And he does not believe in guns and gun rights because many people have been 
shot in schools and his book Rage was credited as the inspiration, and yet he did not shy away in a fantasy situation of giving this kid, who was a little bit psychic in the books, and making him a mystical gunslinger with perfect aim. And if King doesn't back off of it, I don't think Hollywood should either. Yeah, and I would also say, yes, of course, you know, it's a rite of passage, father taking his son out to hunt. That could be called a sport. But this is like killing. I mean, this is, I guess because they're monsters, we're supposed to be okay. They're shooting rat people, so they're kind of animals. (laughs) Okay, I guess. It just doesn't feel that way to me. I just, maybe I'm not ready for it, but it just felt like... Oh, well, this is a tough sell to young audiences. And I think they should have gone more with it. I expected Jake to become a gunslinger. And so when they say his power is the shine, I'm like, oh my God, that is really backing away from this. If you're going to do that, don't make this movie. They shouldn't have made this movie. They weren't giving it the money. They weren't giving it the balls. I think at the end, he's becoming a gunslinger, but I thought, use your shine. Yeah, he's going to go around like Cyclops and shooting psychic beams from his head or something. Well, what is the journey here? I thought the point was Roland is trying to get revenge by killing the man in black and thereby also saving the tower. No, Roland no longer cares about the tower. That's why he's not a gunslinger anymore. He only wants revenge. He doesn't care if the tower falls so long as he kills Walter. Okay, yeah, he did have a line of something like that. Okay. This movie is so, as you call it, pared down. Everything is said exactly once. If you don't catch the one time the line is said, it's gone. All right, so he just wants to verify that this kid has the shining. So he's taking him to a tribe of people that are miners. He's taking him to the town psychic to make sure that drawing is the real thing, that he actually saw that and that Walter could be found there. That's actually not entirely what he wants, though. He believes the kid enough to go to this town. What he wants to know is where is the man in black? He's hunting. He doesn't know where Walter is. And that's so sad because if you see lasers firing in the sky, why don't you just follow them? Like, why don't you head to that point of origin? That's what was a shock to me. I didn't think that opening scene was on Midworld here. (laughs) Like, I thought that was going to go through another portal to get to another world for that place. But yeah, it's on the same world. You should know where the shots are firing if they're that frequent and that dynamic. Well, it looked like it would be difficult to determine the source of that. I mean, it was firing through the sky. I have enough trouble figuring out when I see fireworks on the 4th of July where they're being launched from, let alone you don't have a car. Roland is walking wherever he's going. And what the psychic tells him is this is where the man in black is. It's a six month journey. So if he started walking towards that beam, what's going to be left of the tower by the time he gets there? Yeah, but if he's been looking for him for years, I don't know how long, it seems like he could have made his way there by now. This doesn't feel satisfying. That It makes me think lesser of this gunslinger that after all of this time passage, he hasn't figured out I should head towards those lights that are firing on the tower. That anyone could triangulate an area. And then once you get there, it's obviously this evil-looking tower that Matthew McConaughey is walking in every five minutes and saying, okay, what kids have you brought me? Yes, and there is one really bad piece of casting here. I love Idris. I like Matthew McConaughey. Tom Taylor, I thought, was very good, except every so often his British accent would cut into his lines, I noticed. But Abby Lee, who plays the Man in Black's chief lieutenant, Tirana, 
man, she has no presence at all. It feels like a Victoria's Secret model wandered onto the Death Star, and that's pretty much what happened. Walter does say a pretty face will get you everything. <laughs> like, that is why I think he keeps her around, because she chose a good skin to wear. I think that's why she got the job, but... <laughs> See, I've seen her once before. She was in this movie, The Neon Demon, where she was basically a model type who was standing around gawking and then ends up eating eyeballs. It's kind of hard to describe, but she kind of has this similar, I'm wearing the skin of something else kind of quality about her. You've seen her again. She was one of the wives in Mad Max Fury Road. No, oh, exactly. I think we've been seeing the range of what she's given us so far. <laughs> I, you know, but here's the thing. None of these minions matter at all. I mean, you have Jackie Earl Haley, Oscar-nominated actor, child actor all the way up till recently, and I think he gets five minutes to roll around in a parking lot with Idris. I don't know what he's doing in Brooklyn in this. It looks like a monster mall, like an underground monster mall where you can buy rubber masks to be other people. Okay, the Dixie Pig is what that place is called. It is from the books. However, in the books, it was just a restaurant for cannibals and beasts. But I only got what it was in this movie from the art of book that this is supposed to be like a shopping mall. Yeah. I thought they were making the masks there like Dark Man because you got all these masks. But no, it's a shopping mall where you can buy your masks and there's a portal there. You got to buy them. I feel like if you're working for Walter, <laughs> I mean, that should be that's like having to buy your McDonald's uniform. Because you get a job there. Many places do actually charge you for the shirts. Not in California. It's illegal out here. Yeah, so they make a big deal about Walter going off to meet this guy, being like, you know, you got lax security. Like somebody was able to use the portal over at your Brooklyn house. Fix it. You know, he reprimands those two people that tried to grab the kid that weren't successful, makes them kill each other publicly in a restaurant, and then decides what? He has the sketchbook, and he knows... The kid in question is Jake, so he's going to kill Jake's parents. What Jackie Earl Haley's character Sayer is, is he's the head of the Dixie Pig. He's in charge of that entire facility, and so he's being held to task for the security breach. But yeah, the Man in Black goes to visit Jake's parents just because I think Akiva wanted to kill them. And we set up a really bad father so that we could get vengeance on him. And then we set up a really good mother so we could weep over her off-screen death. I truthfully, truthfully did not believe she was dead. They come home, they find ashes. I'm like, oh, she's not dead because it's off-screen. No, this stupid. This should be almost G-rated. This is so, so non-violent. Yeah, I just don't know what's being accomplished by all of these. He's retracing the steps of the characters just to remind you what already happened. Okay, I got it. Yeah, he went all of this way trying to find you. It's like they're chasing each other and they can't catch each other because they're too busy following the other's trail. They really just want to fight, both of them, right? Yeah, what's weird is when they know in Midworld, they know where the gunslinger is, they know Jake is there, and Walter doesn't even show up. He just sends all his minions to come and bring him back. You would think, they know at this time, oh, this is the kid with the strongest shine, this is the one we need, we could bring down the tower with just him. Okay, everyone, all, all you stormtroopers go get him. I'm just going to hang out here. Not only that, but they're working really hard to get a portal going so that they could come to them. Yeah, they got to go back to Earth and then go to the Dixie Pig to get in that portal to go to this facility with the chairs. <laughs> and I thought that was going to be the whole movie based on the trailers. I really thought we were going to have a lot more of this, what I call the last action hero kind of stuff, where a little kid is showing an action hero around New York and saying, you can't use that language and you can't shoot your guns in public. It's a very, very small amount of this movie. But yeah, they send the Taheen in to get the kid. It's 
okay-ish action. I wish I could see things. There's this girl who never has a single line who's been, like, eye-flirting with Jake in the land of the psychics there. She really wants to save those goats. She does. She will sacrifice herself to save her goat, and Jake has to help her, and we find out that the gunslinger is only a gunslinger. If he drops his bullets, he is really bad at hand-to-hand combat. It's all here for this one cool moment, right? Where he's listening to the sounds. He knows that Jake's been grabbed, is dragging away. So he's ciphering through all the other extraneous white noise to try and find that sound and get a good bead. And I mean, you almost feel like he's if he's this good, why didn't he just fire the gun in the air and shoot Walter? I mean, like you feel like he could shoot him from across worlds. Walter has magics. <laughs> we'll, we'll see him later. Yeah. Walter catches every bullet true. fired at him, too. True, so. true, yeah. But that could be fun. It's like Pong. <laughs> <laughs> they play with that some later, but this scene is in the trailer where he fires and it goes through the clothes and through the window and hits the tahine and Jake is fine. So I'm just surprised at the expediency with which this all happens. We're an hour into this film. Can you believe we're 30 minutes away from the credits rolling <laughs> and the tahine have just now attacked the people and the gunslinger got wounded by that one demon and it's becoming infected and so they have to go to New York And fish out a water comedy like Thor, go to a hospital and find out somehow he has a whole lot of hepatitis. Here's the thing. This film could have been shorter. I don't know what that hospital scene accomplishes. He doesn't get anything. I guess Jake shows up with a bunch of painkillers. Opioids are really hard to get if you get a prescription for him. I don't know where he got a handful of those, but I don't know what happens at that hospital except a joke about hepatitis A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I think it was shown that that scorpion monster in the woods stung Idris in the shoulder and that injury, it seemed like his veins were getting grosser and grosser. It was running down his arm and so they gave him some penicillin or something. I think is they fixed that problem for him. I thought he had a healing factor because earlier on he said, oh yeah, I'll heal from it. Yeah, he said that, but he was wrong in this case. Here's a case of an author being too close to the material because there is this whole plot in the second book where the gunslinger loses a couple fingers, has a bad infection, needs antibiotics and some aspirin in order to function, and he's not able to shoot. But in this movie, we're not shown any ill effects. He still kicks a lot of ass. He only shoots with one gun instead of two, and I think that's because his other hand was injured. But they don't drive home enough that this injury is making him a worse shot, and that the Tahin might not have even gotten as far as they did if he had two hands. And so it doesn't feel like a victory when he starts taking way too many opioids, and it doesn't feel like even the comedy scene. When somebody overdoses on painkillers, you at least expect a little bit of falling down, passing out type of stuff. He just goes to the next scene like he was never injured to begin with. Yeah, they throw some jokes in here, talking raccoons on TV and hookers and paying for healthcare with his ring. He loves sugar. Yeah, turn the label away, though, because Coke doesn't want its (laughs) name associated with this movie. All of this straight from the books, though, although the hookers... Roland had a thing for hookers, so he would not have probably insulted them. Here's what I would say. 95 minutes feels right if it's a young audience. They don't usually have large attention spans. This might be one of the first movies they see. You want to wrap it up, but you want to keep it about Jake. I feel like the gunslinger, his only problem is that he needs to shoot a guy. He's not an interesting enough character to focus on. What I'd like to see and what I'm not getting from this story is that Jake is changing and growing and that by being around the gunslinger, he's 
better off or learning something that he didn't beforehand. I think they're trying to do the opposite. They're showing that the gunslinger is learning something from Jake. I mean, they're going to have some scene where they're both shooting, and I guess the gunslinger is becoming a gunslinger again. I do feel like that's because of Jake's influence. Don't tell me why I feel like that. I just, like, in storytelling and movies that don't want to spend a lot of time explaining things, this is the kind of scene that you have. When the gunslinger met Jake... He was holding Jake over a cliff, thinking he's an agent for the man in black. Jake's like, I traveled through worlds to get here. And, and the gunslinger is like, have a safe trip home. And then we see that when Jake goes for the gun, instead of trying to save himself, he tries to save the gunslinger. The gunslinger starts to respect him. And then they really bond over a dead parent. Walter killed Roland's dad. Walter killed Jake's mom. So the two are now like orphan brothers, both in vengeance. And I think the big moment is when Idris says, I will kill him for both of us. Jake actually isn't having any of it. He's like, here, this is the barbecue blaze. Let's just go there. <laughs> and he knows that because he shined it. There's something that was said about when you use the shine that it alerts Walter and he can like hone in on you. So you don't want to do it. But the point is that he shined a little bit and somehow just knew probably some of that creative editing you were talking about, Arnie. It's in there. They find that homeless guy. Early on, a yeah. homeless guy tells Jake, hey, you're having these dreams and the dreams are about this guy, he's coming for you. So somehow, Jake, maybe he shines. He finds that specific homeless person in New York and then shines off him the address of the Dixie Pig. Because he had been to the Dixie Pit. Because that homeless man went through that portal, I guess, as a kid when they made him attack the Dark Tower. So Walter has been shooting lasers at the Dark Tower for 20 years? At least 20 years. But this guy went through the portal and was subconsciously knew where it was and this is what happens to the kids after they're used as energizer batteries as they come back insane and unable to string sentences together because of that he's able to punch into his non-iphone the address of the dixie pig and i did get a good laugh though when they replay i guess a scene right out of terminator where roland's gonna go rob a gun shop get all the ammo yeah, it's, a, it's all part of that fish out of water and, yeah, walks into a gun store and they just kind of pan across all the big assault rifles. I thought he was going to go real Terminator, and but I guess he, he has to use his Excalibur guns only. Those wanting T2 are going to be sorely disappointed with this. <laughs> We're moving fast. We're an hour and 15 minutes into this now as they go into the Dixie Pig and Jake gets abducted and the gunslinger... Kicks some ass mostly off screen. We see bodies fly on screen, but we don't see Idris. And they get Jake into the man in black's base. They hold up a wristwatch next to him. It's almost like a PKE meter from Ghostbusters. Oh, he's got four <laughs> bars. He's got four bars of shine. And Jake uses a shine to stop the laser from firing. They strap him to the chair. And the reason I guess they're able to extend this climax out a bit instead of just having the Dark Tower come down is because of his shine. He's able to fight back somehow. I guess. I mean, that's what they say. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of this is talking at this point. Whenever your climax involves a kid in a chair trying not to scream, I feel like you're not doing enough, you know, right? <laughs> There's got to be more happening. But that, basically, he's just going to shine words of encouragement to Idris so that Idris can have all the cool shootouts. And McConaughey gets all the cool lines. He's going to go into the portal to the Dixie Pig saying, have a great apocalypse, leaving the kid there to shoot a laser beam while he's going to catch every bullet 
Idris fires at him. McConaughey does some hilarious uh, hand and hip movements as he's like supposedly making glass and rocks fly around to block those bullets. <laughs> Reminded me of the, the hip movements from Suicide Squad with the Enchantress. <laughs> That's right. I thought of Enchantress with the lieutenant he had there whose face he burned. But I did like that he was telekinetic and he's using rocks to stop the bullets. I guess he could just catch every bullet, but he uses rocks. He throws glass at the gunslinger. All right, so Roland succeeds in shooting Walter by doing this. He shoots at Walter, and Walter's like, I see this bullet coming, I'm going to catch it. He then shoots a second shot to the left, and that second shot ricochets. Which we had seen him do earlier. He could bounce these bullets all over the place to hit a certain target, but Walter had caught them all. It's a step away from wanted and curving the bullets, but yes. (laughs) Yes, I was waiting for him to curve that bullet. So his second shot goes left, ricochets, comes back right. It has caught up to the first bullet. So the second bullet has traveled greater distance in the same amount of time. The second bullet is fired faster? Sure. Why not? I I don't know. They're Excalibur bullets. It's all (laughs) magics to me. Here's my problem is you got to have a better trick than this, like a trick bullet shot to do. I thought it was going to be somehow a shine or remembering the face of your father. Maybe that makes your father come back and you could double team Walter. I, I was just expecting something more creative than a trick shot I could see at the carnival. It's fine for that kind of badass moment. I guess it works in that way. But if you're watching this movie thinking it's Drake's story, it's completely unsatisfying. And the first book was called The Gunslinger. It was never Jake's story. It was always a supporting character. They've completely changed it here and yet decided not to give Jake anything to do but sit in a chair and let Roland shoot the man in black. And bullets alone should not be enough to kill the man in black, I'm just going to add. But apparently it is. Uh, They killed demons, though, so I guess they could kill the man in black. That's what's weird to me. You're telling me they're not magic Excalibur bullets, but they're killing some magic stuff. Everything is vanquished with such ease. Again, I go back to those floorboards. You just scream and they fall over. I mean, it's lazy. I mean, it, it is a world where you really don't have to do much to defeat evil and save the entire universe. And so, yeah, it's over before it's even begun, and the red skies part, and it's blue, and now Roland's decided, as much as he loves our hot dogs and soda, he's going to go <laughs> back to the post-apocalyptic world and get more radiation poisoning. It does seem like there is something, a big scene cut, because we'll see that facility with the big laser gun, that's going to blow up. On Earth, it seems like there is a really super huge earthquake. Like, there's rubble everywhere, there's people getting up, like, it seems like they cut out a whole, like, the world's about to end scene from this climax. They also cut out anything about Roland going to the Dark Tower. I mean, Roland's mission should have been to go to the Dark Tower. That's what the books are all about, is Roland trekking to the Tower. It's not Roland just stopping one attack on the Tower. It's Roland trying to get to the Tower, and much like in this movie, Roland doesn't much care about the attacks on the Tower. They're almost incidental, (laughs) so long as he gets there. So... He wants to go back to his world. Why would he stay in New York? He has a bit of a phobia when he gets there to New York. He's like, oh, so many people. He loves it. And why is this kid going to go with him? I realize his parents are dead and his school is hunting for him. But honestly, you know there's no internet there, right? Because that's what happens in this kind of movie. Again, a better movie would give us reasons and motivations. This is going off of, hey, remember all these other movies you've seen? That This is just the next trope that takes place. Exactly. I feel like this movie is trope after trope, and if I hadn't read the books, I couldn't give any motivation to why anybody's doing anything or why some things work and some things don't. I get that they're there, but yeah, it's 
I mean, they call it in screenwriting diagramming. It's like before you've even written the screenplay, you get note cards and you're like, well, they'll do this and they'll do that. And you kind of rearrange and then rearrange until you like the pattern of it. I feel like they just filmed those note cards. Yeah, we've gotten <laughs> a story, but it has been diagrammed in minimalist words. The thing I'm scratching my head on is... Roland thinks these Keystone humans are savages for eating hot dogs. I, you live in a post-apocalyptic world. You're eating all kinds of weird stuff. Don't judge us. Well, he thinks we're eating real dog. Yeah, they're eating real dogs in mid-world. Come on. Yeah, exactly. They'd be lucky to get this kind of food. But what is the plan for a sequel to this? They they wrapped it all up. Like, is there a plan? I don't think they have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> what gives that away? I guess the Crimson King could show up in the next one. Well, there's the Crimson King. There's a lot of books to draw from. Oh, and yes. In the most bare bones way, they took some elements from future books, but they did tell the story of the first book where Roland meets Walter. At the end of the first book, you think Walter is dead. Walter turned out to have faked his own death, but you think Walter is dead. My big suspense in this movie was would they kill Jake, you know, going into this movie, because I knew they killed Jake, but then brought him back. But in the end, you had Roland chasing Walter, but Roland's big goal was still to get to the Dark Tower. In the second book, he was joined by Eddie and Susanna, who had their own problems in order to join his quartet and journey towards the tower and then there's various cities you can continue the story of him going to the tower and fighting various beings along the way there's definitely material in these books to fill easily seven movies or 14 movies whatever you want or everything's going to tv these days i thought we were gonna have to break the karate kid retrospective back out now i saw it's a youtube series <laughs> where they're bringing daniel larusso and johnny back so yeah, maybe they'll go to TV. Honestly, I have a truthful statement. I don't believe that we've seen the end of the Dark Tower, but I think this iteration has crumbled from the psychic laser beams. Oh, uh, come on. How could they not have that girl with the scarred up face come back to be the villain next time? Yeah, there's nothing. There's no dangling threads here. There's nobody leaving this theater that's wanting more. So Jacob Stewart, you do not recommend with your mouth. You recommend with your mind. You do not podcast with your microphone. You podcast with your voice. You do not review with your eye. You review with your heart. So do you recommend The Dark Tower, Jacob? You know, after I walked out of this, I was trying to figure out what was everyone so upset about? Because this seemed like a very competent and mediocre film. Like, it is a thing that runs at 24 frames per second or whatever digital runs at these days. It has people acting. It has special effects. Like it has the things that you would expect to be in a movie. And it seemed like when I went and read, not the critic reviews, I stayed away from that, but it seemed like a lot of King fans were just upset because this was not the Dark Tower. This was some bastardization of it. This was the, what are those little goods books? The Golden Time children's <laughs> books of the Dark Tower. And you know what? I didn't have a problem with that. I realized very early on, oh, this, is a young adult sci-fi fantasy film where you're going to be empowered. And that's kind of just how I watched it. Again, this is a very mediocre, good versus evil action film, and it's competent. Is there a whole lot to recommend there or not recommend? That That's the thing. I'm so on the line with this. I'll give it a week recommend just because I didn't mind the brief 95 minutes it took me to watch this. And some of the action was good. I liked McConaughey. I liked Idris Elba. Even this kid, Tom Taylor, all the actors were fine. 
fine. This isn't for the King fans. This isn't for me as an adult who wants more sophisticated science fiction or fantasy where, oh, what's the deal with this tower? And why is do we have Excalibur being made into guns? Like, I wanted, actually found I was interested in all that world-building type stuff that they just cut from all this. And usually I'm not interested in that stuff. Usually, you know, you go back to like our Chronicles of Riddick. Ugh hate when they try to take this little uh, pitch black movie and try to turn it into Lord of the Rings. I wouldn't mind seeing the more Lord of the Rings version of the Dark Tower where they get into some of that. So I think that's a success, but this is a very mediocre film, but it's fine. If you got a 12-year-old, they'll probably dig it. So we recommend. Stuart. No. Man of list. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'll tell one story related. I think I've already kind of put it on the table. This feels like a sketchbook. It feels like, okay, here's kind of what we want to do, but we didn't end up making it. So maybe one day we'll make it as a TV series, web series, Instagram profile, who knows what. <laughs> Snapchat, it's coming at you, and I'm not going to be looking at it. The problem with this movie is it's not exciting. It's not because of whatever they've done with the story or not. It sounds like the story is unrestrained king, and God bless the people for trying to pare it down into something that most people would want to watch. It really does sound like too many details and not enough of a through line. But I gotta say, I will always love this movie just for the ending. Not the ending on screen, but as the movie ended. Everyone wanted to run through the door. Like, there are all these old people trying to get to the door, but they didn't turn the lights up. And so they're just, like, climbing over <laughs> chairs and falling and huddling. It was like an action movie, and they're trying to climb down the mountain. You've never seen anything like 30 senior citizens trying to go down this rail while the mu this dramatic music is playing. I just turned to the side and watched that. I'm like, this is awesome. Love that. Well, always cherish that memory. This movie, how could it stay in your mind? I mean, it's just, it's not even there. I, they cut the movie out of the movie. I'm waiting for the movie to happen. They did the same thing in my showing where they didn't turn the lights on. And so everybody stayed thinking that there was going to be like the scene that teases the sequel. Oh, no, but that's what I love about these people. They're like, we're getting out of here. There's no way we're going to sit through all these credits. We got to stick together. <laughs> they were old. They probably had to use the bathroom really bad. Well, good on them and not pissing on the seats. <laughs> and to me, I went in hoping that there would be something here that I'd be able to champion after spending so much time preparing <laughs> for it. I thought for sure that having read those books and Idris Elba... In the lead role, so perfectly cast, I'm like, that will be enough to get a recommend. And then I watched this movie, and I'm like, it is not. I thought going in that they would have enough of the right players in the right places that this would come together. And I do look at this director very harshly and blame him a lot for the problem. I mean, you're right. After you guys have pointed it out, Akiva Goldsman may not have had the greatest script in the world, but he might have had a perfectly passable Spielbergian type kid in a magical place. This kid is special. Cloak and Dagger, Explorers, Goonies type of film. Narnia, as you say, Jacob. But it's hard to tell what Goldsman had. His script did leak onto the web to very negative reviews, but those are from King fans who just may not have liked the fact, as I don't, that they made it so kid-focused and not the story of the gunslinger. But I am surprised that you guys found this 
coherent because I'm asking a lot of whys, mainly because I know the whys from these books and I'm waiting for the movie to give me some explanation. And I feel they've cut this thing down to the bone Mm. and nicked it a few times. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, I wanted this to be a Lord of the Rings type steampunk epic. That's not even my genre, but King's books won me over to where I went in wanting that. And this feels like if you go to the dollar store expecting to buy china you're gonna find something that's like chinette and it's gonna try to look like china but it's not gonna feel like china it's not gonna hold up like china this entire movie felt poorly made beyond the fact that they went to south africa for some great vistas that then the cinematographer didn't even make maximum use out of they might as well have stayed on a green screen soundstage and put a little bit more money in other areas because this is cheapo. I mean, $60 million, I couldn't bankroll it. But when you're talking about an epic that you expect to launch a multi-movie and multi-television series franchise, when is the last time one of those only cost $60 million? That's a lack of faith. And so that's what I said earlier. Don't make this movie. You're not committed to it. You're not going to do the books justice. And I want to say, I went in with the knowledge of the books, but I disassociated my enjoyment of the books. I didn't need this movie to be 100% loyal and retell the books verbatim like Peter Jackson did with Lord of the Rings in order to make this a success for me. I just wanted something that was entertaining, and I did not find that here. Even though the movie was only 95 minutes, it felt like I was in that theater a long time because I just wasn't finding enjoyment of this movie. But I always bring that fourth recommend when I can and look at Stephen King's point of view. And because this is weekend of release, I'm a little bit skeptical about what he said. But after seeing a cut of the movie, he wrote the director an email and ended it, you have not forgotten the face of your father. So from that and everything I'm reading online right now, it seems like Stephen King is going to give this movie a recommend. And that's strange. He usually doesn't like it when you change his stuff, especially so much. But he did have say in this one. That said, he also was very pro The Shining and a lot of his movies. He was very pro Maximum Overdrive before that came out. With a little bit of time and a little bit of distance, King finds the place where he can be honest with his constant readers. And I wonder if in five years he might not change that tune a little bit. Yeah, don't ever use that word magnum opus again. This movie couldn't be more paltry in its ambitions. No, and I think it's one of those cases where maybe Ron Howard and Akiva Goldsman worked on this for so long, they're happy just to get something over the finish line and to get (laughs) something to show for it. But I'd be embarrassed if this is what I turned in after that. You know what I thought of was the Fantastic Four, what was that, 2015 reboot, where that thing was chopped all to pieces. I thought this was more of a competent film than that, but yeah, it had that same problem. Yeah, I think because maybe Nikolaj did all the reshoots as well, it didn't feel as tonally disjointed where that ending, you're like, where did that come from? But there's a lot into this movie that doesn't make sense to me, and it just feels like a waste of a King property. Now, this is by no means one of the worst King movies we've reviewed. I think it's in the top 20. That's the sad part. (laughs) I mean, I try to rank them, I mean, as much as you can, and honestly, I... 
It's probably just a little bit worse than The Stand and Pet Cemetery. I definitely think it's better than Lawnmower Man. <laughs> definitely. I recommended it. So, look, I haven't had a good record with these King films, so... Mm, no one has. It's no Kubrick. It's no The Shining, but <laughs> again, it's... Especially for King adaptations, it's passable. So yeah, it, it's in the top half. I mean, to me, this is below Cat's Eye, below Creep Show, below Pet Cemetery. Cat's Eye is my number seven. <laughs> <laughs> it's above Graveyard Shift. It's above the Rage Carry 2. Actually, it's probably on par with the Rage Carry 2. It's not one of the greatest, but I do need to go back. This is... The best thing to come out of this book is I've fired up. I really would have done more King Books and Nachos this summer if I hadn't been reading Seven Kings books that I'm not doing Books and Nachos on. But I'm fired up for King, and I'll be seeing it opening weekend, even if we're not reviewing it until the sequel comes out. But I promise Books and Nachos with Stephen King are going to return because this has gotten me really back into his universe and to return to analyzing him. And the first of those shows is going to be out this week. I'm going to do a halfway measure. I'm not going to jump into the deep end, but I will have a Stephen King related books and nachos out this week about the art of the Dark Tower book. I actually have an interview scheduled this week with its author, Daniel Wallace. He's a Man, I've known about a decade now, and I've interviewed him many times on Star Wars Action News. I was surprised when I saw his name inside the cover of The Art of the Dark Tower, so I reached out to him. I'll have a review and an interview of that book related to this movie coming later this week. So, because of all of that, I'm glad we covered Dark Tower. I'm just not so glad they made Dark Tower. Mm. What would be the next one? We still have to do Skeleton Crew. There's the mist in that one. Something called Mercy. Thinner is Richard Bachman movie. And then, yeah, we'll get to that threefer of It with the Tim Curry original TV miniseries and assuming it's still a two-parter. I think that's right now on track to come out at the end of next summer. So if this summer It does well, we will be able to cover It next September. In the meantime, we have uh, other terrible horror movies to cover uh, annabelle creation you know it is not gonna have to work hard to be my best movie of august <laughs> <laughs> and the best conjuring movie that's true as well i mean you talk about series with bad track records conjuring <laughs> is worse than king right now <laughs> really can i please get a green can i please find a way to get across the green i don't know i've never cared about this damn doll and a sequel to a very bad movie I'm not having a lot of hope. I'm not either. I, for the first time, saw the Annabelle creation trailer before Dark Tower, and I'm like, that's the one that's getting good buzz? It doesn't look good to me. <laughs> no. In the meantime, though, I'm going to spoil it. A movie I can recommend. It didn't come out in August, though. Atomic Blonde. Our review for that is going to be out for patrons this Friday. It is joining Galaxy Quest and Hook. Warriors Coherence. Monster Trucks. <laughs> the classics. Yes, all of those films available only to patrons. You can find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. But you can hear our review of Atomic Blonde this Friday, Annabelle Creation next Tuesday, and then Stuart, Brock, and Jacob return to Philip K. Dick with 
the much requested, hey, did you guys know you never reviewed the remake of Total Recall? <laughs> oh, we know. We definitely heard that over many years, and we were just waiting for something good. I think this new Blade Runner looks good, but our September's booked. We couldn't move Philip K. Dick closer to the release of Blade Runner 2049, and so we're going to put it out in between Annabelle Creation and Inhumans. Because, I mean, it's just the dog days of summer, people. <laughs> August, it's the new February. <laughs> it is horrible. I want to go back to school. I don't even have a school. I'm going back to school because I need to wait for this. You say true, and I say thank you. <laughs> so that's it for this week. Till next time, long days and pleasant nights. The war is over, old friend. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. There are no gunslingers. Not anymore. Now that you've heard the movie review, head to booksandnachos.com to hear Arnie's reviews and analysis of Stephen King's original short stories and novels. They're just dreams. They're not real, Jake. And come back to nowplayingpodcast.com to hear our reviews of other Stephen King movies, such as Carrie, The Shining, Children of the Corn, Cujo, and dozens more in our archives. There's another world out there. I know there is. Also at our site, hear reviews of other films such as Maniac, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw, Riddick, Friday the 13th, The Avengers Films, Star Trek, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com and come back each week for another new movie review. I've been fighting the man in black for centuries. Also at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. You let that telephone, billions of people die. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Face me, Walter! Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Your world might be gone, but mine isn't. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. You clawing your way out of the darkness? You can also support our show and get dozens of bonus movie reviews. For Now Playing's 10th anniversary, we have opened the vaults. And at our Podbean page, you can donate and get archived movie reviews including the Night of the Living Dead series, Alien, Return of the Living Dead, Jaws, The Exorcist, Jurassic Park, and more. Links to all these reviews can be found in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archive section. Our destiny's not decided. You can also join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign to help our show grow. Backers of $10 or more will receive exclusive bonus podcast reviews. At stake is the one thing that protects us all, the tower. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'm coming for you. Now Playing's Dark Tower series is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. You are in very bad shape. I'm surprised you're even sitting up. 
Now playing Credits Red by Brock. I'm stronger than most. The Dark Tower films, all audio clips and music used, are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the well-known Dark Tower films or books. Now Playing is an independent movie review podcast with no affiliation with any company involved in the publishing, creating, or distribution of that film and book series. Darkness will prevail. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Tower will fall, and I will rule. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. A war has been raging for centuries across worlds. Now the war has come to Earth. <laughs> did you say Hans and Franz? I did say Fran Kranz. <laughs> I got confused because you said the Dark Tower, and I'm pretty sure we're doing The Shining 2. <laughs> Websites don't automatically update. Like, message boards don't automatically update like that. That's some BS there. That it, He's hugging his mom goodbye, and like the answer comes in right then. Come on, you got to hit refresh. You got to F5 that screen. Jacob, it's magics. Actually, it's called Ajax programming, and okay, I'm sorry. Then I take it back. Facebook updates like this, so an advanced enough forum could, but that's Pedro. Yeah, that's Pedro. Wow. I say, Fuck you, Jobu. <laughs> he should have used some more voodoo in this. He maybe would have stayed alive. In the trailer, I thought it was Denzel. I thought Denzel was going to cameo. <laughs> Kanye West actually has a. I, I, this is kind of off the show, but he did. Uh, do a pretty uh, excoriating rap about this guy. He's the uh, Allstate. Uh, oh, that's no, that's too. right. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> Denzel, or Denzel, yeah, fake Denzel. Yeah, uh, that's uh, Kanye has some words for fake Denzel. Beasts and Roland's son was born there, and was a half demon anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to cut the next hour of you explaining all of those intricacies. <laughs> I know you need to tell us, but I don't need to hear it. And then Stuart, Brock, and Jacob return to Stephen King. No. No, Philip K. Dick. And then <laughs> We're not doing Stephen King. 